Good morning. As indicated, my name is Harry Strauss. I'm part of the pastoral team here at Forest Grove. And we are in a sermon series of Faithful Presence, and today the message is about uh, proclaiming uh, the gospel. If uh, we were to pick up on language, which we will, from Paul the Apostle, he would talk about proclaiming not only the gospel, but he would also use the language of proclaiming the cross of Christ. So if I were to ask you, Kevin asked a question, if I were to ask you a question that will carry us through the whole sermon, the question is this, if an unbeliever were to ask you, uh, what's with you Christians and the cross, uh, what would you say in response? So if a non-believer were to ask you, what's with you Christians and the cross, uh, what would you say and how would you respond? Be a fair question because the symbol of our faith more than anything else is surely the cross. Uh, we have the fish, we have the lamb, we have the dove, we have images of the Bible, but probably the image that is more important than any other is that of the cross. As a rule, we profile the cross in our churches and outside our churches as well. We have a cross here. Um, years ago, when this church building was constructed, the decision was made to intentionally have a steeple on the outside with a cross that was included. We didn't have to put a cross, or the builders of the church didn't have to put a cross on the outside, and functionally the space inside would have been the same as it presently is. But the decision was made to invest and put money into a design of a cross, a steeple on this building. Not only in our tradition, but all you have to do is go across the street, and there's a building there that, where they gave serious attention to the design and inclusion of a steeple topped with a cross. An evangelical from another church made the comment to me, uh, going back at least a couple of years ago, he said, when he comes down Attridge, he no longer thinks that he's just coming down Attridge, but he's coming down Attridge the way of the cross. There's a cross on this side, and there's a cross on this side as a constant reminder to the city of Saskatoon as people travel down Attridge that there is a cross in our world. We would suggest, and we would think, and I would think, money well invested in architecture with crosses that point to God. Years ago, when I was a seminary student in Fort Worth, Texas, at Southwestern Seminary, uh, there was a Travis Avenue Baptist Church, a large church in Fort Worth, Texas. And when it was built, it caused some controversy in that they invested a serious amount of money into the steeple and cross of that building. So much money, um, so much money was the complaint that was indicated. There it is. There's a picture of the building. I remember one of my profs, Dr. David Garland, an Old Testament prof, making the comment something to the effect of, yes, it's a controversy in the community with people making judgments about that, but he made the comment that was money well invested. It's a constant reminder for people as they travel through the city of Fort Worth and they came past that building, there's a cross pointing up to God, and not only the steeple pointing up to God, but also at the heart of it, the very message of Christianity, 
the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it's not there, we feel its absence. Years ago, my wife and I did a missionary trip to Japan and Korea, and where it was more of a missionary missions exposure trip to those two different uh, corners or countries. And Japan is not a Christ-following nation. Very few Christians in that country. And you can travel from one end of that main island to the other, and especially with Tokyo there and the millions of people in that sea of humanity, and you can travel from one end of that island to the other and rarely see a cross pointing up to God. Uh, But then, you know, as we traveled from Tokyo to Seoul, Korea, and then we whizzed through the city of Seoul, Korea, there was cross after cross after cross after cross pointing up to the God and the heart and the essence of our Christian faith. So it would be a fair question, given the significance of that symbol or that sign or that indicator, that that peace within our Christian faith, that if an unbeliever was interested in the Christian faith, that person might well say to us as believers in Jesus Christ, what's with the cross? Why is that so significant to you? And the question of the sermon really is, what would we then say? A short, tight statement, summary statement, about what the cross is all about. So to help us, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 2, 5, the assigned text for today. And as we read this text, I invite you to be looking for thoughts or ideas from this passage of Scripture that speaks to that very question. And to help you, the passages of Scripture that most relate to the cross are actually highlighted in yellow. And I invite you afterwards as well to be ready to articulate maybe what you see uh, with your neighbor. So we're going to do 90 seconds of neighbor nudge. Neighbor nudge is where you get to nudge your neighbor and visit with your neighbor and talk with your neighbor. So the question is, if you were approached by an unbeliever, and they said, what's with the cross? And then based on this passage of Scripture, those verses pick up an idea or thought and articulate that with your neighbor. And each one of you would have 45 seconds. So it's not a lot of time. I acknowledge that. If uh, that is an uncomfortable exercise for you, just simply say, I passed. Or if you're seated by yourself, uh, just... I just reflect on the question on your own. So 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through to chapter 2, verse 5. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews 
and sheer foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, and not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it is with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Okay, you have 90 seconds. I'm just, I thought I had my watch, but my battery just died yesterday. And I was going to take out my watch right now and time myself for 90 seconds, so I can see the second hand on that clock. That's good. The question is, what's with Christ, the Christians in the cross? What would you say based on this passage? You have 90 seconds. Go ahead, visit with one another. So that's your minute and a half. Thank you very much for engaging in that way. So based on the text here, permit me to outline what I might suggest we could say, uh, though the language that you might uh, use would be a little bit different. But I'm going to start with a short phrase, and I'm going to add to the phrase uh, three additional times. So there's really four components to the sermon. There's really four components uh, to this statement. But the cross is the power of God. We begin our statement with just that line right there in uh, our text, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is, it is the power of God. The power of the cross is most directly related to salvation, which we'll look at in a few moments. But I also want to just note some of the unique and powerful things that happened right at the death of Jesus Christ when he was on the cross, signaling that there was something really powerful about the cross. One, at the moment, and this is from Matthew chapter 27, verses 51, 52, 53 in that area. One, at the moment of his death, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So there was this heavy curtain between the wider area and the Holy of Holies in that area. And in the scripture indicates that as Jesus died, the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
Some have suggested that curtain would have been maybe about 30 feet in height. It was also understood that it was a thick curtain. Uh, certainly this would be an exaggeration, but it is being said that the curtain was as thick as a man's hand. But that veil, that curtain, was torn in two from top to bottom, signaling something about the access of humanity into the very presence of God. Two, the earth shook. The rocks split. There was an earthquake that happened right in connection with the cross event itself. And then three, we have these fairly unique words in the Gospel of Matthew. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to, appeared to many people. I don't know what that would have been like 2,000 years ago, being in conversation with someone that had just come out of a tomb. But it was all in connection with the cross event and the death of Jesus Christ. Powerful happens. So no wonder we get this response in the Matthew passage when the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. The event signaled that something powerful had happened. And the event signaled not only that had happened, but was happening with Jesus Christ. As indicated by a verse, the cross is the power of God. And not surprisingly, in that verse 118, where that word power is used, it's that Greek word dunamis, the word that we get dynamite from. So you could argue and say that the cross is the power of God. The cross is the dynamite of God. And sometimes, especially in our day and age, in our Christianized West, we see crosses that are largely passive pop of our building or pop of other buildings and they don't move and nothing happens. Suggesting something that is, well, is as passive and but we want to assert here as Paul the Apostle asserts that there is something very powerful about the cross. Our statement begins by saying the cross is the power of God. We go on with the statement and we build on it and we say the cross is the power of God that brings salvation. So our initial text here, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So salvation is at the core of this message about the cross. Central to Paul the Apostle. In Romans 1.16, as he introduces that letter, he has a line there, a verse that in some ways is comparable to the one that we just read here in verse 18 in Corinthians. In Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Or he could have said, I'm not ashamed of the cross because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So, Paul, what's happening here is just like when we might write an email here and then here and we're retelling the same story. We we kind of use the same language or if we're telling someone a story and then we tell the same story to someone else, we use the same language. And Paul largely, 1 
the Corinthians here, 1 to 18, and Romans 1 16 are very similar in language. So what does it mean that the cross is the power of God that brings salvation? Well, speaking first person singular, the cross is the power of God in dealing with my sin. And as a part of the human race, I am a sinner, and apart from the cross, I would remain in my sin and remain in my unrighteousness. The Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, highlights, re-highlights, re-highlights this reality called sin. We cannot miss it. If we are serious students of the Bible, we cannot message, cannot miss this message about the reality of sin with humanity. In our class on the Gospel of Luke, here is, I was reading the story about Peter and the miraculous catch of fish is directed by Jesus, and he finds himself on his knees saying, I am a sinful man. He instinctively knew that when he had this experience with Jesus, there was something sacred about Jesus, something holy about Jesus, dawns on him his own sinful nature. Very much similar in the vein to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah realizes as he meets the holiness of God, he says, I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips. For me, speaking again first person singular, for me the cross is the power of God for salvation where I came to know the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is language from John the Baptist in the Gospel of John as he announces Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How? Through the cross as the sacrificial Lamb of God. In effect, the cross paid the penalty of my sin and in so doing removed the burden, the burden of my sin and the related unrighteousness as well. One of the stories, those of you acquainted with the book Pilgrim's Progress would know the story of Pilgrim and how he feels the burden and the weight of the sin on his life. And um, artists depicted in different ways, uh, but as he interacts with evangelists and as he comes to the cross, and as he comes to express faith in the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, the, the, the burden from his back is removed, and he finds a freedom from the sin on his life. Not only does he find a freedom from the sin of his life, but when we understand what happened at the cross, it also carries with it the gift of righteousness, that we come to have right standing with God. In our overall text here in verse 30 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness. And going back again to that parallel passage in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, I'm not ashamed of the cross because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And the good news of the cross is that we stand right before God. The cross is the power of God that brings salvation. 
And if there's a note that we celebrate with the gospel and the good news and the message that is there in the book of Romans, it's this message that, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, because of the work of the cross, I stand right in the eyes of God. So the cross is the power of God that brings salvation, where we are saved from our sins. There's a, there's a solution to the sin problem. And not only that, but we are ultimately even declared righteous in the eyes of God. Adding to the third statement, the cross is the power of God <clears throat> that brings salvation to all those who believe. In verse 21 of 1 Corinthians, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So the emphasis here is on belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. I just finished reading Uncle Tom's Cabin, uh, going back, I just finished it a couple of weeks ago tells the story of Tom, a slave in the U.S. before emancipation came. Tom was a slave. He was an uneducated man. But he was gripped and he was occupied with his belief in Jesus Christ and the truth that the cross is the power of God that brings salvation to all those who believe. He was among those who identified with what it means to be believers in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the story has even him, in the midst of all of his suffering, seeing a vision of the suffering Lord, where Jesus, on the cross, suffering, identifies with him in his suffering as a slave. And then the vision changing into a picture of the Lord on the throne, which is encourages him to persevere in his adverse circumstances as a slave. Though not loved by his cruel master, he knew he was loved by the master above, and he accessed that by belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. On this matter about being loved by God and uh, forgiven by God, and I picked this up from Philip Yancey in one of his books, he makes the uh, observation and brings to the fore that there was a survey done with people where they were asked, what statements mo would you most want to hear articulated to you? And the two top ones that were articulated were, I love you, and the second one, uh, you are forgiven. You are loved and you are forgiven. And even that, sir, though that survey wasn't done in the context of, of, of Christianity or with believers in Jesus Christ, but society as a whole, Yancey makes the observation that that is at the core of what happens when we're believers in Jesus Christ. When people say yes to the message of the cross, when they exercise belief, they in effect trigger divine realities that declare you are loved by God. And not only are you loved by God, but you're also forgiven by God for the sinfulness of your life. Apparently, there was a third most popular response, and um, that response was simply, supper's ready. Um, supper's ready. And uh, yeah, we understand that, and we know that. We like, we like to hear that. We like to hear, you're loved. Uh, you're forgiven. And by the way, supper's ready as well. And Philip Yancey picks up on that and makes the point how the whole, all three statements fit into the Christian message. Because not today, but when we participate in the Lord's Supper, supper's ready. It's one of the most critical things that we do in terms of signaling what's happened in the past, what's happening in the present, what's going to happen in the future as well. Supper's ready as well. 
So the cross is the power of God that brings salvation to all those who believe. But I want to add one more piece to this. Um, The text speaks extensively about wisdom as well. This passage of scripture, the word wisdom or wise, is used about 14 times. So we'll add this to the statement. The cross is the power and wisdom of God that brings salvation to all those who believe. In the text, we could look at verses 23, 24, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. There it is. Um, I'm following a gentleman by the name of Gordon Fee quite closely by listening to some of his audio tapes and audio CDs, I should say, on some of his teaching in the past and reading some of his stuff. But I read his material related to 1 Corinthians for today. He said, it's hard for the Christianized West, where the cross for almost 19 centuries has been the primary symbol of the faith, to appreciate how utterly mad the message of God, who God himself crucified by his enemies, would have seemed to the first century Greek or Roman. They would have looked at this and said, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. He goes on to say this this, this terminology of Christ crucified is a contradiction in terms. And Fee, Fee doesn't use a lot of illustrative stuff. He's got this book on 1 Corinthians that's this thick, and I just read the portion related to these verses right here. And reading some of his other material and listening to him, he doesn't use a lot of illustrative material. So this sort of, caught me by surprise when he said this. But he said, Indeed, Christ crucified is a contradiction in terms of the same category as fried ice. Well, I took that home and I tested it out with my granddaughters and I said, Claire, Audrey, what what would fried ice be like? And, And they got it right away. They said, Grandpa, that doesn't make any sense. And that's... This passage of scripture here and this whole thing about the cross, the Messiah, the, the, the anointed one, the Christ one. You know, one may have a Messiah, one may have a crucifixion, one, but one may not have both, at least not from the perspective of a merely human understanding. Messiah, Christ, anointed one means power, splendor, triumph. Crucifixion, cross means weakness, humiliation, But therein is the wisdom of God, which seems so contradictory, which brought and brings, continually brings, 2017, the message of forgiveness of our sins and the related gift of righteousness uh, all through a cross event. About a month ago, Judy and I watched the movie Case for Christ, which depicts Lee Strobel's journey to Christ. The movie is of him wanting to debunk Christianity largely because his wife had embraced it and he wanted to disprove it to her. So the movie consists of him investigating the Christian faith and surprisingly coming to the conviction where he embraced the very faith that he wanted to debunk. And he critiqued And he checked, for he was an investigative journalist where everything had to be checked out. 
in his work setting in the movie, and apparently this was true to life. There's a poster up there for all of them as investigative and journalists that said, if your mother tells you that she loves you, check it out. You know, like, might not be true. Check it out. Check it out. So he checked Christianity out, including the cross and the related message of the resurrection. And in time, he came to embrace it as the very wisdom of God. So it's the power of God, but it's also the very wisdom of God. So we declare, as we move to conclusion here, we declare the cross is the power and wisdom of God that brings salvation to all who believe. So, should someone ask you this week, um, and I know it doesn't happen that often that the world asks us about what's, what's, the, what's the deal about the cross, but wouldn't it be neat if a bunch of people asked you this week, you know, the Spirit of God working in the lives of people, and they ask you and said, hey, what's, what's with you Christians in the cross? What's the big deal of the cross? That you might say something to the effect, the cross is the power and the wisdom of God that brings salvation to all those who believe. As we think of his faithful presence, he will be faithful in giving us the appropriate words to say. So as we share, as we proclaim, certainly may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and all of us as we proclaim and share the message of the cross. Amen.